0: Education
1: world alive.
0: The world is changing. Education is changing, too. A growing tension exists between two schools of thought, between teaching and learning, lessons and experiences. While some believe schools should be places of wonder and excitement in which students are engaged in passion-based problem solving, many others are holding on tightly to a more traditional view of education, one in which teachers are the keepers of knowledge and controllers of concepts. And then there are those who believe we can do both, that we can both honor the lessons learned and paths paved by the generational teachings that came before, while also forging ahead into educational destinations unknown. We are from this group of Divergent Thinkers, and this is our story. Welcome to Destination Education, When Worlds Collide.
2: Welcome, guys. I see everyone's popping up on Zoom. I'll go through a quick uh, just introduction so we know who each other are. I know uh, a few of us are familiar with each other and a few not so much. And so uh, today we have Dr. Courtney Jerkins, and uh, Dr. Jerkins is uh, the coordinator of elementary and science and social studies and K-12 English learners programs at Midway ISD. We have Eric Scheninger. You know, Eric is a prolific author. Uh, I think digital uh, leadership and and is probably his forte, and, and right now, with everything we're seeing, I thought, what a great guest to have on to ask, you know, are we really realizing digital convergence like we, like we say we are and like we're trying to do, and like he's, he said we should for so long. Uh, We also have Dr. David DeMarcus, and David DeMarcus is kind of our black sheep of the group as well. You know, he's, he's a guy who is a world traveler and a freelance curriculum uh, writer, so I'm glad to have David on with us. Philip Gomez, Uh, Philip is, is prolific in the ed tech world, and he's worked with numerous edtech companies over the years. And he and I have had the opportunity to collaborate on different uh, projects and in, in different uh, arenas. And so, Philip, thanks for being here. And and Mr. Harvey Hughes, I see you down there in that bottom corner of my screen. Harvey Hughes is who I call like he's my he's my data ninja. He 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 has a way of you know quieting the storm when it comes to making sense of our data. And not just collecting it, but using it. So, guys, thanks for being here today. So, getting started, let's jump in. You know, Eric. You know, this digital convergence—the idea that that you know we have for years tried to to push this system forward into a kind of a reimagined educational system in the United States. And of course, we have not just one system; every state has its own system. You know, are we now um, in the in the current um, crisis that we're in? Are we being pushed even more so to realize that, that digital convergence, and how are we doing in that opening?
1: Well, I think it's kind of like baptism by fire. Uh, many schools and districts were caught with the pants down, and the mentality was, oh, we have devices, and we're gonna be okay. And what we're seeing is, yes, we are okay. Educators, they are building the plane while they're flying it. We are seeing valiant efforts but when we really think about uh, how are we doing, I don't know if we're going to be able to answer that question until when the dust settles. Uh, it's kind of like a triage. But what we're seeing is uh, districts have not taken into account equity. You know, we have millions of kids that do not have devices. We have million, millions of kids that don't have Wi-Fi. Um, and we, there were new plans. Some districts went tw- one to one in 24 hours. So what we're learning is we're doing the best that we can and we need to commend our educators. However, when we really think about pedagogy, you know, we could talk about blended learning in the classroom where technology is used to control path, pace and place. What we're seeing in our homes really isn't good blended pedagogy. So we have a lot of work to do and hopefully you know, the question is gonna be is, will we use this as a learning experience to better train and better prepare our teachers and administrators? or will we go back to that's the way we've always done it? And that's one of my fears.
2: Yeah, ha- habits can be hard to break, you know, and I know a lot of times we are those, we're creatures of, of habits and we tend to have habitual behavior that drives our daily actions. And, you know, now more than ever, I do see we have um, educators, you know, around Texas, you know, I, I have a firsthand knowledge of, but really our nation, I would assume the world, that are really stepping up and meeting the needs of, of students you know in these these unusual circumstances and so I, I love that you said you know this is really the test this is for us to see what are we going to learn from this so that moving forward we can ensure that if and when we are faced with another type of situation and we need to quickly flip the script on how we are providing you know equitable educational opportunities to students you know in these different settings that we're able to do so so I love that David uh, Dr. DeMarcus, I'd love for you to jump in. I know you, uh, you know, recently in a, in, a, in, a, in a message I read from you, you alluded to the, the fact that, you know, the industrialization and this idea that we continue to proliferate this type of an educational model in, in our country, despite the fact that we all know that, that you know, the world has changed and that, that we, you know, we're trying to play catch up now. I mean, w- what would you add to that?
3: Yeah so I started doing some research and I'm trying to figure out where where this shift started and what the research that I'm doing a lot of the rhetoric that we're using today uh, unfortunately has been used since like the 1960s and 1970s which is scary to me uh, in this moment because even then uh, in the book that I'm reading Future Shock they're talking about uh, automation they're talking talking about the shift to technology They're talking about how relationships are transient and impermanent. And to me, that's like everything that's going on right now uh, in our educational world, but yet, you know, over uh, 50 years, uh, it has not changed. And and my biggest fear, I also said this on a thread, is that the thing that we're going to get out of this uh, moment is Zoom. If we only get Zoom, out of this moment, if schools only focus on video conferencing, then we have severely, uh, I think, failed in this moment, right? Because to me, what education should be is not only students using the tech, but students creating the tech. That's good education to me. So, you know, I I have this mix of hope and fear uh, in this moment, but things have uh, have not really moved. And I'm hoping this moves the needle, but I'm also fearful that we'll just focus on the Zoom.
4: Can I weigh in on that also? Go ahead, Courtney, you jump in. Because um, I, I definitely agree. And one thing that I've noticed is, as you mentioned, Eric, building the plane while we're flying it, this has not been a seamless transition. And from the district level, just having meetings upon meetings with new questions that keep coming up. Oh, well, we didn't think about this. Got to meet again and tweak this and put out this new policy and all that. Um, what, we, what I hope that we learn from this moment is that we do need to be responsive and and not just responsive, but proactive. And I think we're going to have some districts that do that. And I think we're going to have other districts that go back to that this is the way we've always done it mentality. But I do think that this is going to be a launch pad for that small segment of us who have been saying, we've got to get more into technology, we've got to get more into technology and that we can use that to do things like, create a playbook of things that you do, when you have a crisis that you need to convert over to technology. Um, I was reading yesterday an article about Taiwan actually, and their response to the pandemic. And they've had a really good response because they had a 124 point playbook of if this happens, do this, if that happens, do this. And they went straight down their list and they have a very low number of cases. We need something like that in education, you know, so if this happens and we need to convert to technology, we've got this, 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 and this ready. Here are the steps, put them in place and go. You know, so I think that we will have some districts that, that go that way and again, others that don't, but hopefully it'll be a spring pad for something.
2: Philip and Harvey, like I want y'all to jump in here kind of from that ed tech perspective, you know, what do you see going on? You know, Courtney mentioned having, you know, kind of a step-by-step, you know, how do we quickly convert to this, this digital uh, version of what we try to realize in the classroom daily. Um, so what are you guys seeing around, around the country right now in the work you're doing and what are some of the, the, the successes and some of the barriers being faced?
5: Well, I'll jump in here since I, my mic's unmuted before Phillips. Uh, so I agree with everything that's been said so far, you know, um, uh, you know me, John, Well, we, typically do is go in and try to organize chaos around things over the you know and try to try to make it sustainable with a kind of a platform play of if it's good now you know um can we can we fix it but we'll see will it be uh, sustainable over time and so we have been working heavily over the last few years with equity and uh discipline disproportionate discrimination but what we were moving to, trying to move districts to is more of equity of uh, instruction so what this has caused is it, ex- it, it, it has uh, exposed a weakness in education to where um uh, maybe instruction even in the classroom is a little weak with a lot of long-term substitute teachers and things of that nature and so what was asked of me by by superintendents uh was hey if we're going to start managing the pieces of all this make sure that when it comes back to the classroom, we're still managing that equity. We always know where equity of instruction is, which to me means access and rigor and fidelity and all that kind of stuff. So if my student is in eighth grade math class and they have a long-term substitute teacher, um, then can they actually do online learning to a a teacher across the hall, across the city, or across the country, and and maybe even start looking more like a, a junior college, if you will, uh, for some of that instruction, because if we build the platform correctly, we should be able to get instruction anywhere it lives, even if it's administered at the classroom. And so my mind has been wrapped around that problem uh, to what uh, David said, too. If all we get out of this is a good uh, access to Zoom, that's we've missed the boat. I mean, and 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 then the rules that are coming down with the funding there from the CARES Act, it, it clearly states in there, um, it, it, there's two problems with equity of instruction. One is access. Which is you know technology, internet, and all that. But then once once we once we bridge that gap, which is really in the in the thoughts of everybody right now, then it's equity equity in instruction. Which typically, obviously, we go right back to our special ed population to see that would be the most vulnerable. But I still say even beyond special ed, you know, if you've got a gifted learner or a learner who can learn at a different pace, then What's equity to them, and, and and so we're really trying to figure out what equity means beyond access. What what, what equity really means in, in instruction, and what I'm hoping is is that just like districts now have a tornado drill, they have a school lockdown drill for school safety. Then in the, in the future world, we're gonna have a, a we're gonna have to, every district's gonna have to prove that they can transition to a blended learning environment in the moment and not a triage. But as, as a transition plan, and, and, and my fear is, like there are funds that came down many years ago, that people bought a lot of widgets and pieces, and it didn't do anything but offer more chaos to what you were managing. And when that money went away, we saw those pieces uh, dissipate, and I don't know if we got any better, right? And I'm hoping this time we learned our lesson to say, whatever we do, let's improve it, right, and and make it sustainable over time. I don't know. There's an easy fix to that, but um, anyway, it's just my two my two cents worth. Philip, jump in here.
6: Yeah, absolutely, John. First of all, thanks for for uh, having me, uh, and appreciate you guys, all of you on on the call, uh, and Courtney. When I say you guys, I, I you know, I always get in trouble uh, because there's always <laughs> ladies present, and I get that wrong. So, I uh, really appreciate you putting this together, John. Uh, just so you all know, this is my first podcast, so I'm really excited to be a part of this. Uh, I've tried to get on other ones before, but I've never been qualified. And I think <laughs> I just <laughs> snuck in under the radar here on this one too, so uh, I'm excited about it. You know, this has been a really uh, crazy time uh, for, for everybody, obviously. Um, I work for TeachTown. I don't know if any of you are familiar with TeachTown or heard of TeachTown.
5: Great company. Uh, great leadership in that company too.
6: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. One of the brightest and 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 in most innovative minds in education in Dave Cappellucci, who's the founder, one of the founders, and and runs TeachTown, is is super brilliant. Oh,
5: absolutely,
6: he's he's, he's two, phenomenal. Two, there's two people in education that that everybody should know, uh, and that's Dave Capilucci and Harvey Hughes. Uh, Harvey is is also <laughs> very innovative, uh, and has been a a leader and a forerunner in and and in, in special ed and in equity specifically. Uh, for uh, 20 plus years. And I've had the privilege of working for both of them. So uh, that said, all my knowledge is garnered from their deep, rich uh, background uh, that sometimes uh, is uh, uh, full of it too, like everybody else, right? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but you know, as well intentioned as educators are, you know, uh, in, in in a normal situation, in a classroom situation, a normal environment, we all of a sudden get thrust into this space that's really kind of the almost like the wild west, where everybody's scrambling uh, to get things done and accomplished. And obviously, we applaud that effort. I think you know these teachers are they're heroes for even stepping up to the plate. You talk about equity um, and and education, and and you then you have to deal with fate. And so, you know, all of a sudden these districts are dealt this hand where we got to do it for not just our gen ed and typically developing students, but we've got to do this for everybody. If we're going to do it for them, we've got to do it across the board, right? And, and so I think for them to be able to, to make it, it, so it's either all or nothing. We're either going to shut it all down and say we're done with this year, or we're going to find a way to continue education for everybody and we've got to make sure that everybody has the same level of access and and there's something that can help these students continue while they're there at home big deal big hurdle uh and all of that the, the problem is when you talk about equity it's really difficult to do if if your product uh or or your instructional continuum isn't a good blend of technology and also resources in general right and so specifically for our special ed students we our special ed students are the students that need the most consistent uh, and and uh, um, systematic tools for teaching and learning and instruction all kids need that but our sped kids need that especially and the problem that we have is even when things are normal right, our special ed kids are often taught with the most inconsistent non-systematic SPED tools uh, or, or teaching tools uh, in general. And so you get thrown into this climate and everybody's like, where do, where do we go? And so one of the things that I really like about what we do at TeachTown is that we have a, a good sort of blended approach to instruction in general, which incorporates a lot of technology already. So for us, it put us in a really good position uh, to, uh, say, Hey, listen, first of all, we're here to help. We're not here to take advantage of anybody during this time. Everybody needs help. Everybody's scrambling for resource. We, we've got something that you can implement right now for distance learning that we can stand up quickly and it'll keep your students at the, at minimum from regressing, right? At minimum, they may not be able to, we we may not be creating or, or, or seeing miracles happen here, educationally speaking, but if if we're at least stopping regression, right, for our SPED kids and our typically developing kids, then we're at least doing something.
2: Let me jump in here, Philip. <laughs> I like that because I, I think you hit on something. Like, I read a uh, post from Eric uh, earlier today, and Eric, you know, you were hitting on something, I think, that speaks volumes. Sometimes knowing what not to do is as important as knowing what to do. And when we can cross a list through, you know, a line through some of those things to avoid, sometimes we can kind of hit that mark a little more effectively and efficiently. And, you know, from that list that you released earlier, you know, 10 remote learning practices to avoid. Piling on too much work, right? I think some of us have seen some of that and some not so much. Um, Posting assignments with no plan for feedback. In other words, hey, here it is. Take it, do it. But they're not getting any feedback. Grades. Do we keep it? Do we not? What's the point of it? Who's really learning what? Is this my... You know, in my own home, I have a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 9-year-old. If I wasn't here, my 13-year-old would be the teacher for my 11-year-old, and my 11-year-old for my 9-year-old, give or take. So, are we really collecting grades? And if so, what does that really reflect? So, I love that list of remote learning practices to avoid. Will you will you touch on that just briefly,
1: Eric? Sure. Um, you know, I I kind of been reached out. Uh, a lot of educators and districts are reaching out to me, sharing their stories. And they don't want really to come out and say, Hey, don't blog that my district is doing this. But some of the things are a little discouraging and it kind of goes against what we're trying to accomplish. And, you know, I wrote that list primarily after I was told that one district was making their teachers log in at the exact same time when their period would start and do instruction for that 50 minute period. And then I heard about the you know districts that are now going to grades. Well, there's another issue of equity. For example, here in Texas, my, my wife and I are both, you know, educators. She actually works in a district my kids go to. You know, we're here all day. We can support them. We can make sure they get up. Well, guess what? There are kids in our district that are in the city of Houston that do not have those same, uh, supports available. So, you know, what we're trying to do, what what many districts are doing is trying to replicate exactly what would be happening in that, uh, regular school day and there are things that are broken such as the school calendar the school calendar is broken what i've seen is my own two children flourish as they can go at their own pace you know it's a mix of using a personalized uh, a learning platform uh, in my case my kids are using edgenuity they're doing digital check-ins they're doing zoom sessions for kids that need extra support um, they are uh, having a combination of synchronous versus asynchronous uh, instruction So, you know, I kind of, I am not one to tell people what to do. That is not my role because I am not in the trenches anymore. And it kind of drives me crazy when I see other uh, people on social media try to do that. But that list was kind of a a pause to get us to reflect. Another thing that we've seen a lot of districts, especially in cases where there is not uh, access to Wi-Fi and technology is death by packet and death by worksheet. Well, guess what? Kids hated them in school. And they were all low-level knowledge recall. So what do we do? We just keep using the same practice at home and everything's great. Well, what are we doing with that now? You can't grade it. But what about if kids are getting it wrong? Another issue is teachers pay teachers. I'm not against teachers pay teachers. But I visited over 1,000 classrooms last year all over the country as a coach. And I could pick out teachers pay teachers materials like that. Typically low-level, not grounded in sound pedagogy. And again, uh, a stopgap. So, that list was kind of just to get people to reflect and think about is this a good practice in terms of teaching? Is it a good practice in terms of learning? And if we are doing it, how might we uh, improve? You know, it really isn't an all or
2: none mentality. It is a how can we take some of the high leverage practices that we did in school and convert those into a way that students now can kind of almost have autonomy over their own learning and decide, hey, you know, this stuff is streaming in, whether some of it's coming in packets and some of it's coming in, you know, on on Google Classrooms and all these different platforms, ingenuity that, that schools are using. But you know, more I've seen it here in my own family. And once again, my kids are blessed. I'm an educator, so I get to be home with them. But they really, they get up, they get on, they start and they look forward to their assignments and learning. And but what I've noticed is too much of any one thing gets them down. So if they spend all morning long doing Google Classroom online assignments, they start yearning for like, hey, I want to get up and move or I want to write something. I want to actually have a piece of paper in front of me. So how do we realize that that need for diversity that we struggled to realize when we had them right there in front of us in schools and now here we are, you know, in this kind of unknown world?
3: Yeah, I think the beauty... Here, going off what you uh, and Eric said, John is we've been jettisoned into the digital age, right? To me, I love that, right? There's this is the the disruption I've been looking for. But the again, the fear is, and I love that you created those uh, those points as uh, for reflection, Eric, because I don't know if education as an organism, as our minds, as a collective. Uh, is is quite ready for this digital age right because you need the pedagogy to perceive perceive the technology right you, we need the the mindset to perceive the technology and now we're confronted with the technology but we need to reflect and think about um, good practices that go along with that as well
4: yeah and you know i was thinking about what you said eric about how we're trying to take what we have in the classroom and just transferred over to the home that's a lot of what I've seen um, just from my position and just trying to help teachers think through that and how not to do that because really we think about that SAMR scale we're still at substitution we you know we were at substitution in the classroom and not all of us you know not everyone but the majority and we're still at substitution now and so I think it's great to have a list like that and I think also with the ed tech companies, I think it would be great to have more models of what that looks like. Because I, you know, we were blessed, John and David and I were blessed to be in a, a doctoral program together where we got to confront these issues. Um, Eric, we even right. got to read some of your books, you know, or your book. We, so we had a class on this, you know, on 21st century learning and um, blending technology. But trying to take that back and and tell a, a large group of people some of them veterans who, you know, believe in this is the way I've always done it and it always works and trying to explain to them that the world is changing. Jobs that we have no idea, no concept of are going to be coming out in the next one to 10 years. And we have to prepare kids not for that industry model, but for what's coming up, the unknowns, that's difficult. And so now these same teachers are thrust into this, and they are trying now more to use the technology, but Zoom, like you said, David, that's the <coughs> substitution. Well, we'll just do what we always did. We'll just use Zoom and do it. And so we need some sort of model of, here's what a good English language arts and reading lesson looks like in the digital age using these tools. Here's what a good math lesson looks like. Here's what you can have your children, have them go to this website or Google this, or, you know, we need concrete examples. Um, that's actually something I'm working on today is trying to provide some of those, you know, here, focus on these standards and consider doing this type of activity. You know, we need more of that. And I think EdTech can really help with that.
5: Hey, John, let, let me jump in here too. Cause I think this is beautiful stuff. I'll tell you, I love this. Uh, but uh, Phil brought it up about faith and then, uh, and then uh, everybody's kind of chimed in on their own version of that. But I think it, this is a disruptive time. If we look at it holistically, Courtney's, Courtney's is, is, what she's talking about is, is spot on, and that is it, this is a, um, a disruptive time. So during this disruptive time and the money that's coming to support it, it's not like they're asking to do it for pennies. They're gonna, they're gonna be funding this effort. Don't waste it as well. Don't waste the time. Don't, dis, don't waste the disruption. Don't, don't waste the money. But but, uh, and Philip said it with faith. It I think overall it's a, it's forcing us to reevaluate what appropriate means in faith, right? Free and appropriate public education. So what does appropriate mean now? Philip and I come from an area of special needs. So one extreme, we're coming from that extreme. And uh, the things that he does, and then we do, we, we really kind of see the eyes from a special ed point of view, and then think, well, if we fix it there, maybe it'll help everybody, right? Um, but um, so the whole idea is if we reevaluate, if we're forced uh, because of the exposure, because of the, uh, the, the requirements that we're going to have to have a blended learning environment, then it all goes back to equity to fake or equity to appropriate. And so you know, back uh, 10 years ago, they were talking about everyone needs an IEP. Well, that kind of belittles what an IEP with the world of special ed really, really does because they do a deep dive and it's one-on-one. But it should be the argument. And I read an article just the other day and, um, and it was talking about IEP, differential, differentiated learning or uh, personalized learning. What's the right one? And the answer is all, right? it's got to get back to no matter what we try to coin it. And I think some of the content vendors screw up the conversation sometimes because what should we teach by textbook or should we teach by online instruction? To some degree, that's not the root of the problem. Go back to the root of the problem is, is that we need to be set up in an environment where every student learns it on pace. So let's solve that problem and layer in the vendors that bring in content later. How many times can you really yeah. teach? I know I'm oversimplifying this. How many no, times can you teach Harvey. one plus one equals two? So anyway, that's just from a that's from a, a light persons point of view. I'm not an educator, but I am a systems guy, and, and I think we need to get to the root of the problem. And what David just said is that the root of the problem now can be addressed.
2: Right? Let's so let's so, go to this,
5: go look at the root of the problem.
2: So given what given what we know as as educators and as ed tech specialists and authors and you know, given what we know, you know, is, are the conditions, do we have the conditions in place right now to realize this digital convergence really for, you know, for once moving forward, will we be able to leverage the, the ideas and the information and the, you know, the struggles from this time period to move forward? You know, I, I, I wonder so often, you know, it, you know, are the current leaders in our current educational system Are they in a place to drive and to really own this change? You know, does this have to come from my 13-year-old daughter? You know, should I be asking her, hey, Mia, you know, what's working? What's not working? By the way, I do, but I think maybe I'm weird in that I do, because I think a lot of people, but, you know, our our students, should they be having a voice in this and telling us, hey, you know, y'all think you're solving problems here, but maybe you're creating problems in some instances. I know I'm kind of rambling there, but, um, you know, are the conditions, are the conditions right? Do we have the pieces we need in place to, to realize what we're trying to achieve here? As I'm reaching to mute my mic,
5: I'm going to say, if we don't do it now, when will we do it? Because ha- we never would imagine that the whole unit's down for a month or two or three. If we do it, this If we don't do it now, we never will do it.
3: Harvey, I agree. Uh, I think, you know, we're released from standardized testing for this temporary moment which to me like as an educator i'm excited because that is opportunity for new assessments to be emerge within this time period right we have this really tight time period to make this work but if you can't carry out good assessments virtually in the digital age and you uh package that correctly how can't our uh state legislators and our federal government see that 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 education can move forward this this is the time for that because we're not shackled to the test for the first time in a long time right
4: yeah but i also think that we've got so many different leaders who can do whatever they want at the state level and the district level we won't have necessarily a centralized push for this because that's what we need we need it to come from some overarching here's what we're going to do now we're going to you know respond we're going to be ready for the next time what i think is more likely to happen is that you're going to have some districts who may create a pandemic response team and you know get everything ready and, and spend the next couple years getting themselves ready and some districts will say oh well you know we made it through back to business as usual come on everybody let's get back into the classroom let's go face to face and we're good um so i wish and I'm speaking also just from the research I've recently done on other countries where you do have a central body in place controlling all of education. It looks the same no matter where you go in the country. I wish we had something like that because in that case, you know that, that it, becomes, it can become a priority and then it has to be everybody's priority. But we're at a place now where we can set our priorities by state and again by district. So it, it makes it tough.
2: Well, and I, I think you're speaking to some things. Eric, I see you want to jump in. I want you to. But I think, Courtney, in some ways you're touching on some things there that some would argue that's our strength is that we have local control and that we can take those policies sometimes imperfect, imperfect in, in how they're presented to us and we can turn them into something positive for our kids. And then the other side of that is in some of the states that don't have quite the local control we have here in Texas with ISDs you know, you have maybe a little bit more of a consistency and follow through and implementation efforts. I mean, that's not always the case, but I know in some instances that may be an argument to make. Eric, jump in here.
1: Well, in many cases, local control has been the enemy of growth and innovation. And being from that, I'm originally from New Jersey, um, we love our local control in the Northeast. And what's resulted is high achievement scores. you have the least innovative schools and districts in the northeast because of achievement but you know what i think what we have to do and this comes back to the original question john about leadership is you know if, if our leaders don't get it it's not going to happen and you know when we talked about like courtney was talking before about sam Ar and some teachers we all have isolated pockets of excellence but when we think about scalability, the lesson that we have to learn is, you know, what, what is learning? Is what we've been doing in our schools learning? No, it's mostly about compliance, conformity, um, doing well on the test, meeting the needs of our parents, uh, getting up property values, uh, attracting, you know, teachers and administrators. It hasn't really been about learning. You know, I've seen learning where, you know, my kids have been put in a box. They've had to go, you know, all kids doing the same thing the same way at the same time. That is the number one comment when I coach in schools that I give to principals and teachers is, is this, you know, if you're having all the kids do the same thing, same time, you're definitely not meeting their needs. You're not differentiating. You're not personalizing. You know, what we see now with this sort of dabbling into remote learning is we've started to see place. Kids are learning at home. My daughter learns in her bed. Um, Then she'll go learn in her chair. You know, my son, he'll go outside. So we're seeing place. We're, We're seeing pace but what we're not seeing is path. And here's one thing we have to learn with this remote learning. Most kids are bored. My kids are bored. They're going through the motions. They're doing it. And again, I'm not blaming the district. I'm not blaming the teachers, but my kids are bored. They're going through the motions, but they're doing it at their own pace uh, and they're able to be comfortable doing it. What we really have to think about as leaders of districts and schools is how we re-envision our professional learning. No more professional development. That's part of the problem. One and done drive by, you know, the fluffy keynotes. And by the way, I give my fair share of fluffy keynotes. And if that's what people want to pay me to do, so be it. It's got to be job embedded. It's got to be ongoing. It's got to be feedback driven and it has to reflect the same conditions that we're seeing right now. How many, how how many schools, you know, really have their teachers, and administrators go through a personalized or blended learning experience during a PD day, none. So when we think about remote learning, you know, we can do it now. We can replicate those conditions. But if, again, if we don't learn those lessons that are right smacking us in the face right now, we'll revert to the way we've always done it.
2: Yeah. Let me jump in here real quick and I'm going to open it up again. You know, I, Eric, I think you're spot on with the, uh, the comment about professional development is dead. You know, something I'd kind of happened upon and it probably was in reading one of your books and one of... Yao, Yao's books, and, you know, just some of the the prolific writers out there that are pushing the envelope in education right now and saying, hey, kids need to have a voice, we need to have choice, we need to have faith and, uh, uh, you know, a path and and pace and all these things that we need to be cognizant of, and so my thing is this, is how do we, how do we continue, because, you know, the system itself cannot just magically be changed right it it happens one leader at a time one system at a time we're always working in the systems that we're in as efficiently and as effectively as we can but but we're also hopefully as leaders in education working on the system to transform the system you know what are some steps like what can educators be doing right now what can ed tech companies be doing what can you know authors be doing what can politicians be doing to to move this system forward right now, to leverage this terrible crisis that we are we many have loved ones who are dying. We're dealing with—with—with with, with, you know, lives lost now, not you know, equity of educational opportunity, and yet we're still trying to make sense of it because we do have a responsibility to our children right now to ensure that learning continues. But you know, education is kind of what adults do to kids. Learning is what humans do to survive. So, you know, how do we shift this? Are there actions we can be taking right now to? To help move this system along, just com- kind of from right our little spheres of influence.
5: Hey, John, I'll,
2: I'll jump in.
5: <laughs> uh, you had me at hello. Uh, so <laughs> um, I, I, I challenge us to go back and think, just this is a lay person again. So I'll, I'll apologize, I apologize for my point of view. It's a, from a technology lay person, not an educator. But it seems to me, and there's a term for this, but that's, it seems to me that edu- our education was built on the premise of the industrial revolution, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it was the 80-20 rule. We're gonna teach 80% of our student population and the 20 that don't get it, we're gonna, re- we're gonna intervene some way, somehow, and catch them up. But I'm confident, and I, I challenge myself all the time about this. I'm confident that model is absolutely switched today, that if we do nothing, 20% of the population will make A's and B's, will show up and we'll get through and they'll be ready for college or career or whatever. The 80% now, so so the 80% is the norm. So, so to, to everybody's point here, Courtney's on down as far as leadership, I think we've got to get back to reevaluating what is the purpose of education in today's world? Not a hundred years ago when it was invented in, in America. And that is, we're not doing an 80-20, we're doing a 20-80. If, if 20%, we're going to t- 20% of our students are going to make it at, in the classroom and they're going to make it at home and they're going to be fine. But everybody else is at risk. Um, social pressure, uh, just uh, uh, social emotional learning, things that they're not taught in the home. And then now schools have to, you know, schools are becoming a uh, nurturing the whole student, right? In the classroom, in the school buildings, we feed them, we clothe them, we, we, uh, uh, we educate them. Right. Well, when, when they're not there, we're not doing any of those things. We're not feeding them. We're not, well, I mean, we are feeding them. Don't get me wrong about that. I know there's people out there packing lunches every day. I don't mean that, but I mean the whole student. So now's the time to say, number one, as Courtney said, tell me how I'm going to be, what, what is the best way? I mean, bring all the knowledge people. The best way is you you reevaluate what faith means. Well, I mean, what appropriate means appropriate to my child and your child and me and you it's all different so figure out a way that technology can be brought in and the academias can be brought in and say every student has to learn at the same rate their same um, style you know there's several ways of learning auditorial visual tactile and and so what are their strengths and weaknesses and let's let's get them educated that way no matter where we are so it's not a triage we're teaching the same way if they're at home or or, or at school uh, and and or, or if they're in the park or if they're outside or inside, like you were saying, but, 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 but the leadership does need to come down and say, okay, forget all the rules for a second. Let's go back to the core problem or the core value, and that is trying to understand what appropriate means. And that may mean challenges from the technology companies, challenges from the educators to say it's got to be individualized. You call it whatever you want. I prefer they don't call it individual education plan because that diminishes the work that's done in that tactical grassroots level that will never be done in a personalized learning plan. And feedback not always there, but call it something where you're saying, every student matters. We have a saying here in our home, uh, Philip and I live in the same town actually, and our our public school has said, every student, every time. And I told the superintendent, I said, if you put that on your website, you better live up to it. every student, every time, you know what that really means? And he he wanted to say something catchy and crazy and all this kind of stuff. I said, I said, you put down your website, your, your, your stakeholders are going to make sure you live up to that. Now, can't, can you live up to it? Are you prepared to live up to it? Yeah. So every
2: student, every time. And, and so really, it seems like more and more like outside of the, the brick and mortar environment. So many of us traverse daily. We, we, we live in this world of personalization, right? I mean, I could never leave my home. And I guess in some ways, as, society, as as members of this society, we were kind of prepared for this pandemic in a way we can self-isolate, we can order on Amazon. I haven't had to go to the toilet paper, you know, on Amazon yet, but I, that may be coming soon because, I mean, it's kind of silly, but, you know, these are things that in, in the real world, right, we can personalize our lives to the greatest degree we choose. And yet for our kids, we're saying, hey, you know, and I, I've often said that, you know, sometimes it feels like kids You know, they're learning everywhere they're at. They're learning, they're learning, they're learning. And then they hit the school doors and then they stop learning. And then they go into school and they go through these rote motions and they, some of them can play the game of school well and they get the degree and the grade and that kind of stuff. But then they leave and then they go back to being engaged in learning again on devices, creating things, you know, you know, and, and so how do we, so that's my question is, you know, is, is there a way to kind of flip that to where kids, you know, I, you know, are coming to school, excited to be at school because of the level of engagement, the level of creativity, the things they're exposed to on a daily
3: basis. Well, John, it goes back to what you said originally about, you know, speaking with your own children. I think it comes, not to sound cheesy, but it comes down to, are we listening, right? Are we listening to the students first, right? Uh, Are we listening to the economy, the economic changes that we're seeing in society? Are we listening to... The digital changes. I think sometimes we get caught, and like myself included, we put you know put our earmuffs on, and we're not understanding what changes are occurring, what students need, because we're just not got not getting to the root and listening, uh, and and seeing that these changes have occurred for decades, right? Why haven't we changed it within these decades? This is not new, right? But we're not listening to students, and we're not listening to our communities and the economy
2: we well, well, we're, we're Philip, I see you want to jump in. I'm gonna let you real quick. We're getting close on time here, so I wanted to give everybody a chance to kind of go around and just add one last comment, one last you know thought, if it's just a word, just something that is reflective of where we are and where we're headed.
6: yeah, well, uh, uh I don't think we have a habit as Americans of ever letting a good crisis go to waste uh, I, but I also think that's a little bit of our downfall too now because. We become so used to, the, to, to what we consider normal that we almost can't live without being what we consider normal. And so our first sort of response in a situation like this is to triage and try to keep everything sort of status quo. And so, again, well-intentioned teachers and educators have done their best to try to keep things going and moving forward for our students uh, while they're at home everybody's working through spring breaks. And, you know, a lot of people did that in Texas and all that to try to come back with a plan to get to somebody else's points packets to people or, you know, some sort of scratch together plan to keep things normal. I think, you know, the magic here is if we don't have to be so American that we can't slow down, wait, observe, and find the right way to leverage the technology and leverage all the smart people. Like you know, I'm sitting here with with a bunch of people that are way smarter than me, right? Talking about how we can fix the problem, but instead of fixing problems, we get too much, uh, uh, you know, and ahead of ourselves, and really try to patch the boat while we're floating, or build a plane while we're flying, right? Sometimes taking a little bit and pausing is really helpful, to, so we can garner resources and come together collectively with better ideas.
3: Yeah, thanks, Philip. Just quickly. John, just quickly, sorry, I know you're trying to get here, but you know, his point made me think, are we using technology now for order, right? If we're using it for order, then we're going back to the progressive model, right? Then we're going back to the industrial model if we're using technology for order. But if we're using it for innovation, if we're nudging this thing forward, uh, you know, then we're preparing for the future. But if we go back to that technology for order, then we're back to the industrial model, in my opinion.
6: Yeah, we're using it to keep us normal, essentially.
2: Yeah, I think, I not think, in normal you, know, time. you know, it's a good point, David. I think maybe we have to kind of find that balance between the two, right? Because, because like, once again, to just like turn the, the system upside down, there's a lot of people out there that really need a sense of normalcy right now just to kind of carry on. And so I think, you know, in some ways, how do we honor that? How do we allow for that, but also leverage this as an opportunity to innovate, to move forward, to learn and to pivot and to continue
1: on. Um,
4: Well, my final thing is just um, going back to something that Harvey said earlier, actually, um, when you mentioned the personalized learning, because in my dream world, um, I would love to see schools run with kind of a a baseline of um, adaptive learning mixed with like a strengths finder test, you know, where, every kid comes in and they take this test or this assessment that kind of outlines you know here's what we see your strengths and interests and whatever to be in. what do you you know want to do and here's if you are interested in doing this here's a module you can can go through and here's you know the module plus the blended learning with the face-to-face and every kid completes their courses at their own pace you know finishes the module and you know there's some sort of counseling piece throughout to say hey you know you're still interested in this? And you do you want to change course? And maybe let's go and look at this module over here. So um, I would love it if we could somehow blend that. I know we've got the adaptive learning piece already with technology, with programs like, I mean, iStation comes to mind where, you know, you take, go and take that assessment or even Lexia, take that assessment and it puts you where you're supposed to be in the program. And then you, you know, take your lessons and build up and and improve as you go. Um, so we already got that Adaptive model, and we've already got things like strength finders tests out there that you know are supposed to to find out what your best abilities and strengths are. So I would love to see a way to blend that for children to make them, in my opinion, what the goal of learning is: productive citizens of society, able to utilize what they're best at to help the world.
5: Hey John, let, let me say one one final thing too, and then I'll hush up. And you know me, I mean I'm I can't talk as much as you, but I run a, 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 a close second. Um, first of all, thank God for our educators, right? And we've we've had this conversation before. They're just like the healthcare providers. They are nurturers. They're passionate. They'll put themselves behind other people to make to do to do the right thing every time. And and that's you know I you know God bless them. And uh, I don't know everybody's role on the panel here today, but I know Philip and I we're not educators. And the only way we can help is to bring technology to education. I mean, we could have done a lot of industries, but we're passionate about education and at-risk kids specifically. But um, someone keeps telling me the other day, I I wrote this down, I keep thinking about it. But we don't teach subjects, we teach students. And I go back to this uh, personalized learning. I'm going to call it that for the lack of calling it something else. but, uh, But there's no sense of normal anymore. If anything was exposed, there is no normal. Yes, during the transit, then the triage, we wanted a sense of normal. So kids, the social emotional pressure of students being taught from home, there's a sense of normal till we figure this out. And then we're gonna go back to a world that's not normal anymore, ever again. And so now, now is the time, if we ever do it, it's gonna be now to figure out what the new norm is. And the new norm has got to be one-to-one, personalized learning, understanding what that is, and reevaluating how we're being measured. I think that's what Cordy was trying to say earlier. We need some overall directive. If, we've, if we're given grace and we're given uh, uh, the, the ability to design our own kind of things, that in itself can be so chaotic that it'll never, never make a, 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 a new movement. And so we need to know, how am I going to be judged if I'm given grace? and and if we go back to it's all about if you can always prove whatever you did you did it for the appropriate style of learning for that student you can always go back to that as a baseline uh, solution then 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 we just call it that just whatever it is what the rules are from from uh, 2000 year 2021 20, on is it's all about appropriate learning for the students and if you if you err if you err in that world then you can always go back to that, then that's what needs to be. And that's the kind of leadership we probably should have. Now, that being given, I'm not looking for more rules. I'm looking for less rules. But it's got to be under some measurable thing about equity, right? Equity and discipline, equity of access, equity of instruction. And that opens up a whole other room of opportunities here. But but now's the call to duty. Now's the call for educators to bring the technologies in uh, to say, if we were at any moment in time going to have a personalized education plan for every student, how would that look like? And, and, and Philip would laugh at me later about how long it took me to say I worked for NASA. But, but I worked for NASA and I had a lot of people that were brilliant. I was smart. They were brilliant. If you got in that room and their mission was to put, put the space station in, in, in orbit, that was it. That was their their fate, call of duty. If you said anything, and they had a room full of people, and they called it down to to the, that's how they naturally called it down to the thought leaders, is the moment you had a narrow point of view, they would not ask you back. You get what I'm saying? They kept problem solving and problem solving and problem solving. The goal was to put the space station in orbit, collaboratively speaking, and using all the technologies. The goal wasn't to figure out how many ways could it fail. And so the more, the more uh, yell butts and yell butts, they were not asked to the room until you got down to about 20 people. And so the point of saying that is, if that's the way you solve this problem. Is let's go back to fate. and that, and that really is odd that I'm even having to say that because it's so interpretive now of what that really means based on what kind of program you think your school's doing and this, that, and the other. But I guarantee you, most of those models are built on the 80-20, not the 20-80. So I'm gonna hush up there, but but it is time for a call to duty to say, all everybody come to the room, we're gonna go back to fate and personalized learning. Well, how does that look like? And the first one that says we can't do it, but we're gonna ask you to step out and we're gonna keep going.
1: Yeah, my final thought is just, you know, we have to remember what makes education special. Uh, it, it's not the technology, it, it's not the curriculum, it's definitely not the tests, it, it's the relationships. And I think sometimes in, in this remote learning world, we forget, you know, what our kids need right now. We hear all the time, Maslow before blooms, you know, and I think a lot of things that we're talking about is technology can, you know, just using a tool doesn't really cut it. Uh, just doing what we've always done under the mask of technology isn't really progress. So, we have to really think about those relationships. Also, we haven't talked much about the whole social emotional aspect of all of this and what it's doing to our kids. You know, utilizing an empathetic lens, you know, reaching out and just asking our kids and our families, how are you doing? What do you need? What can we do for you? And I I think when we add that empathetic piece and relational based piece to all this, you know, when we come out of it, we'll come out a lot stronger.
2: Great final words. I love that. Panel, thank you all so much. I felt like this was an awesome conversation. I hope that we can regroup in the future and everyone have a blessed day with family, friends, colleagues, and whatever comes next.
0: If you want to continue this journey with us, be sure to hit us up on our Destination Education Twitter page at A Chaotic Mess R12. And tune into to our next Out of This World episode when we continue to blur the lines between GT and special education on Destination Education When Worlds Collide. And always remember that courage creates culture, and kindness keeps us connected. Destination,
1: when worlds collide.